Shining the spotlight on the future of hockey. Hey, it's Ty Smith of the Spokane Chiefs. It's Adam Bocas. Hey, it's Joe Valeno from the Drummondville Voltageurs. Hey, it's Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hi, I'm Dominic Buck. I'm Jacob Bernard Docker of the Oak Hills Oilers. It's Joe Bryan. Hi, it's Barrett Hayden of the Sioux Greyhounds. Brady Kachuk from the Boston University Terriers. Major Junior. In the 100th year of the Memorial Cup, the Ankeny Panthers T-Tall have won it for the first time. NCAA. Everybody in that Bulldog section's on their feet. The bench is ready to party as the UMD Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions. The World Juniors. Time winding down, and Finland has won the World Junior Championship in Vancouver in spectacular style. The NHL Draft. The Buffalo Sabres are proud to select Trollunda defenseman Rasmus Dahlin. And more. Oh, yes! Oh, my goodness. We're not going home yet, baby! This is the Pipeline Show. Here we go. Welcome to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. My name is Guy Flaming. It's uh, championship weekend as the CHL, all three leagues, the uh, championship, the final, gets going this weekend in the USHL. Well, one of the uh, finalists has now been established. We'll get to all of that. In a second, but as always, we start with the question of the day. I put up on Twitter on Friday, and uh, for clarification, uh, I actually planned for the show to come out on Friday, but things kind of got away from me, so uh, it became later and later in the day on Friday. Didn't seem like it would make any sense to try to throw a show together right before the first game of the WHL final, so it is a very early Saturday morning as I uh, speak to you right now. Uh, So uh, the CHL uh, finals all underway now at this point. Uh, the interviews that I did that you'll hear on the show today uh, were before the start of uh, each series. Uh, I'll explain all of that as we get closer. But uh, the question of the day that I put on Twitter on Friday, of the three lower seeds still left in the re- their respective CHL League final, which is the most likely to pull off the upset and win? And uh, Halifax is the lower seed in the Q final. They're taking on Roy Naranda. The Guelph Storm is the lower seed in the OHL as they take on the Ottawa 67s. And the Vancouver Giants are the lower seed as they go up against the Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, the uh, leading vote-getter is the Vancouver Giants at 52%. Guelph and Halifax both coming in at 25 and then 23% respectively. Well, and interesting to see how things have played out uh, in the queue. It's a 1-1 series tie. I guess we can just get right to the news and notes uh, portion. Uh, I should mention, though, that the uh, question of the day is brought to you by the Edmonton Oil Kings, who are now officially done for the year. The uh, WHL Bantam draft are now in the books as well. We'll touch on that in a second. Uh, but you can uh, already get your season tickets for next year. Go to oilkings.ca, click on the uh, tickets portion of the toolbar. Everything you need to know about uh, what you can get with your season ticket packages is all right there for you. Oil Kings, uh, I think expectations will be pretty high for the team going into next season. They may have overachieved a little bit this year in the eyes of many. Certainly was a surprise. I think uh, that's fair to say after finishing dead last uh, the previous season to uh, be uh, Central Division, uh, the top team in the Central Division. They should be one of the uh, top two or three teams again uh, in the Eastern Conference next year. Uh, I know a lot will depend on whether they get Trey fix Wolanski back as a 20-year-old. He is signed with the Columbus Blue Jackets and uh, played last night, as a matter of fact, in the American Hockey League uh, playoffs for the uh, Cleveland Monsters. No points, dash two in that game. 
we'll see. Lots of lots of time before uh, that uh, becomes a, a big concern. All right, to the news and notes portion that I mentioned in the uh, Q final. Uh, game two went last night in Roy Naranda, and it was a uh, overtime victory. Bo Gru scoring the overtime victory, double overtime. The Halifax Mooseheads even up their series, so they go home with a having earned a split. The next two games are in Halifax, then uh, games uh, five, six, and seven rotate uh, back and forth. So good to see Halifax uh, evening up their series. In the Ontario Hockey League, uh, only one game so far, the Ottawa 67s winning game one. That one was on Thursday night, 7-2, the final score in that outing. We've seen some lopsided scores along the way in the OHL playoffs, uh, even in games that Guelph has been involved in, the Guelph Storm. Until that fourth game is won for Ottawa, I don't think they can uh, feel too confident. We've seen Guelph come back in the last two series after being pushed to the limit. So game two in that series goes this evening. And in the WHL uh, final of the game one last night, and it was the uh, Vancouver Giants with the victory in that one as well. Bowen Byram, four assists in the first two periods of yesterday's contest. He continues to uh, play very, very well in the WHL playoffs. You can also mention the USHL playoffs. Um, USHL website still hasn't been updated, but I can tell you that uh, even though it says right on their front page that uh, Sioux Falls leads their series two games to none, they've actually won that series three games to none. Remember, they only played best of fives in the USHL. Uh, so they are onto the Clark Cup uh, Championship. They await the winner between Muskegon and Chicago, and uh, Chicago yesterday with a, a victory against uh, Muskegon. That was a 4-1 score in that game. So Chicago... Uh, they play again tonight. They could uh, wrap up that series and uh, move on to meet uh, Sioux Falls in the final. Outside of the games on the ice, the biggest news this week in uh, prospect hockey, probably the WHL banner draft, and uh, not just the draft itself, but uh, a number of trades on draft day worth mentioning. Some big names are being shuffled around, and uh, in my opinion, the biggest trade, well, there were two significant trades, uh, one in terms of volume and the other in terms of uh, the player moved. Uh, Jet Wu, who, in my mind, one of the premier defensemen in the WHL, he was uh, traded from the Moose Jaw Warriors to the Calgary Hitmen. Now, the Hitmen gave up a lot to get him. They moved a, a first-round pick uh, this year, which was the 11th overall selection. Uh, a second-round pick a couple of years from now. Ryder Korzak, who's a good young player, and uh, Vlad Yomenko, who uh, could or could not be back this year, as a, I believe he'd be an overager. Um, but that's, that's a good return for uh, the Moose Jaw Warriors. Assuming Yuri Yamenko plays for them, if not, then then probably didn't get enough. Uh, but Jet Wu, I think, is going to be a terrific addition to the Hitmen's back end. Uh, you got now you have him and Jaeger Zamula, who I think is really underrated. Probably doesn't get the recognition that uh, that he deserves uh, playing for the Calgary Hitmen. Um, but uh, that could that's a a terrific tandem on the back end. So that was uh, one big deal. Uh, and right before that, there was another one as well with uh, the Kelowna Rockets. You know they're hosting in 2020, so expect a lot of additions to their roster between uh, now and then. And they started it at the draft. Uh, they moved a couple of first-round picks, a second-round pick, Connor Brugen-Kate. And uh, in return, they got Dylan Hamelock, Jake Lee, and Cole Schwebius from the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds. Hamelock and Lee both uh, draft eligible this year for the NHL draft. Uh, and two, uh, two very good players, Hamelock. Uh, had some injury issues this year, so I uh, didn't play a ton, but uh, those are nice additions uh, to the Kelowna Rockets. The Rockets also picked up 
uh, the rights to Sean Comrie from who played uh, with the Denver Pioneers this year. Uh, wasn't an everyday player, or at least uh, there may have been some injuries. I don't know the full story, but he only played 18 games uh, for the Pios uh, and had just one point. But I saw mentioned on Twitter already that uh, he's basically that it wasn't just a shot in the dark for Kelowna uh, that uh, you should expect Sean Comrie uh, to be on the blue line for the Rockets next season. He turned 19 uh, this uh, past January, so he's got some uh, veteran experience that he can bring although not at the WHL level. He played a couple of years with the Spruce Grove Saints. And uh, possibly the, the the biggest deal that didn't involve players was uh, some wangling and dangling. Wangling and dangling? Uh, by the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, now, they, they took Matt Savoy with the first overall pick, and I, for me that wasn't a surprise because they had that safety net of the ninth overall pick also uh, in their graphs. So you, you can take a you swing for the fence with Matt Savoy, even though knowing... There's a good chance he's not coming because he is committed to Denver with his older brother, uh, and all all reports to this point uh, suggest that that's uh, that's where they're going to stay. But it gives you a year to uh, to uh, give him the sales pitch to the family, and I know that the the family has been to Winnipeg and, and looked around and checked things out. So we'll see what happens. Anything, I mean, it could change for sure. I I know that Denver's expressed that they're not concerned about uh, losing the rights to those two players, Matthew Savoy and the older brother, Carter Savoy, who is a very good player in his own right. Um, so it wasn't a surprise that the ice would take Savoy, but then they also went out and uh, improved on that ninth overall pick. They packaged it up. And they actually uh, made a deal with the Saskatoon Blades to get the third overall pick. So they gave up that ninth. They gave up a couple of second rounders as well, one this year, one next year, and a fifth rounder next year. They sent that to Saskatoon for that third round pick, and uh, Reese Harsh. Then they traded the third overall pick. Did I say third round? Third overall uh, to Prince George, who had the second overall pick, and uh, sweetened it with a, uh, a third rounder next year as well. Uh, so then they had the number one and two picks. So they got Matt Savoy, and then they took uh, the next best player, who happens to be from Winnipeg, Morgan Geeky's little brother. His name is Connor Geeky. So uh, some pretty smooth dealing there for the Winnipeg Ice. You got to give. Uh, you got to tip your hat to them for what they were able to accomplish uh, on draft day as well. So some big trades, uh, certainly involving uh, players and also some uh, clever wheeling and dealing there by the Winnipeg Ice. Now, don't ask me who the winners and losers were uh, at the Bantam draft, uh, because as I mentioned last week in our draft preview, I don't know the players, uh, but you can get in contact with uh, with people like Braden Sullivan, if you'd like, at uh, DraftGeek and ask his opinion, because he knows the players. I don't. The next few picks, so it went uh, Matthew Savoy, Connor Geeky, then uh, Keaton Dahaniak uh, to Prince George, Cohen Zimmer uh, to Prince George. It was funny how it played out because you had Winnipeg picking twice, then Prince George picking twice, then Brandon picking twice as the uh, Wheat Kings were involved in some uh, draft day trades as well, moving around picks. Uh, they took Nate Danielson and uh, Tyson Zimmer. The Kamloops Blazers grabbed uh, Mats Lindgren, defenseman. Seattle took Jordan Gustafson. Uh, Saskatoon uh, seemed pretty happy uh, about getting Brandon Lazowski. Seattle selected Kevin Korczynski. Moose uh, grabbed Denton Matichuk. Oasis Wiseblatt goes to the Medicine Hat Tigers. Uh, that's Ozzy Wiseblatt's little brother, who is a terrific rookie this year with the Prince Albert Raiders. Calgary selected Graydon Seepman. Matthew Ward goes to Swift Current. Benjamin Thornton to Spokane. Uh, Brandon they added Rylan Rosma. 
Not sure how I'm pronouncing that one. Leighton Feist goes to uh, the Regina Pats. Uh, Edmonton's choice was Caleb Reimer, who is big. I think he was listed at 6'2 or 6'3. Victoria grabbed Jason Spizaka. There's a fun name to say. Jason Spizaka. Kamloops uh, takes Connor Levis. Tyson Jungna goes to Swift Current. And uh, rounding out the first round, Niall Crocker to the PA Raiders. One name I am uh, intrigued by that the uh, Oil Kings took is uh, the player they took in the very last round in uh, Cade Littler. His uh, father, Bliss Littler, has been a longtime coach uh, in junior hockey, mostly uh, in the USHL, but the last uh, six or seven years he's been uh, the, behind the bench for the Wenatchee Wild while they were at the end of their NAHL tenure and now in the BCHL. And uh, he tweeted out how proud he was uh, of his son, obviously, and uh, that uh, he was very excited to be drafted by the Oil Kings. So uh, maybe a swing for the fence there for Edmonton and uh, drafting uh, Cade Littler in the 10th round, an American, and uh, he had some interesting numbers last year. He's listed at 6'1", 187 pounds, and uh, playing for the Wenatchee Wolves um, U14 squad. Had uh, 30 goals, 51 points in 25 games this past year. So, as a 14-year-old, he's already got size, and uh, clearly uh, has the hands to go with it. Also played a little bit in uh, San Jose with the Junior Sharks. Had 9 points in 4 games for them. And with the Anchorage North Stars, where he had one point in four games. So hopping around a little bit. Not sure exactly what the uh, the game schedule is there. Different tournaments, maybe. Also, the uh, one other draft day uh, note that I wanted to pass on, and I, I tweeted about it. I just thought it was uh, really cool that uh, to see. Um, you know, remember Milan Hayduk uh, with the Colorado Avalanche? Well, uh, he has uh, twin sons who were taken in the Abano draft this year. And interestingly enough, it, both in the ninth round, Merrick Hayduke goes to the uh, Portland Winterhawks, and uh, six picks later, uh, David Hayduke is uh, drafted by the Everett Silvertips. So two arch rivals grabbing twin brothers. Uh, that's going to be <laughs> exciting to see how that plays out uh, when those two clubs uh, play so often against each other. Anyway, all right, that's going to do it for the news and notes. Let's get to uh, what's coming down the pipe today. As I mentioned, it's uh, CHL uh, Finals. We're going to preview all three of those series. We'll start in the queue. The voice of the Roy Naranda Huskies is Jean-Paul Charlebois. Uh, he's my guest to uh, set up the series between the Huskies and the Halifax Mooseheads. Head to the OHL. It's the uh, Guelph Storm taking on the Ottawa 67s. The voice of the 67s is AJ Jackiebeck, uh, good friend of the show. In the WHL, Vancouver takes on Prince Albert. The uh, voice of the Giants is Dan O'Connor. So we get uh, his thoughts uh, heading into game one which was last night. And we'll close it out with a 2019 draft spotlight. Uh, John Farinacci is my guest, a guy who uh, is getting some attention as a uh, probable top 45 pick for the NHL draft this year. Ford, uh, who played in uh, Dexter Southfield uh, out in Massachusetts, also saw him at the Ivan Holinka tournament, excuse me, the Holinka Gretzky Cup in Edmonton uh, pa- this past August. He was the captain for Team USA. So, terrific uh, guest list. We'll uh, kick it off. Uh, we'll go east to west in the CHL. So, we'll start in the queue. Jean-Paul Charlebois, voice of the Roy Naranda Huskies. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. Steered away by Fitzpatrick. And what's good to the front? They score! It's Ben Olivier Grew. Benoit Olivier Grew gives the Mooseheads a 6-5 lead with four and a half gone here in the third period. Hi, my name is Bo Grew from the Halifax Mooseheads, and you're listening to Pipeline Show.
Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Oh, that's greasy. That's really greasy. That's greasy. Welcome back to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Time for our CHL Insider segment. Today, I'm going to be joined by the voice of the Roy Naranda Huskies as uh, the Huskies get prepared to take on the Halifax Mooseheads. Game one going tonight in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League final. And my guest uh, today is, uh, as I mentioned, the uh, voice of the Huskies. That is uh, Jean-Paul Charlebois. Uh, welcome to the Pipeline Show, uh, sir. Uh, how are things out in Roy Naranda? Well, of course, it is... Uh... That starts tonight. Uh, it's the second time in four years that we're going to uh, the finals, so uh, I'm not saying we're getting used to it, but uh, there's still a lot of uh, excitement around the team. Well, that other time was uh, in Red Deer at the Memorial Cup, and it came so close to winning, going uh, losing in overtime to the London Knights that year. How different is this year's team compared to that year? Well, I think we have a better team than in 2016. If you look at the at the records uh, uh, in the regular season, we uh, established a new and we we established a record in in, in 2016 with 54 wins, but we have 59 this year, which is a new league record, 119 points. Uh, uh, we won the championship, and uh, we had a streak of 25 consecutive wins uh, during the season. And I think we have more depth than uh, we had in 2016. Well, and have been the number one ranked team in the entire Canadian Hockey League for the basically the second half of the season. Uh, and when you weren't number one, you were number two behind the Prince Albert Raiders until they started to lose a, a few games. Uh, and uh, you had the top leading scorer in the league in Peter Abandonado. Now, I, I read reports that uh, he's come down with uh, mononucleosis and didn't play a, much in the last round. Is he good to go in this in the final? Well, waiting. He, he's been practicing this week. He's uh, expected to see his uh, doctor. I think it's tomorrow. Uh, for sure, he's not going to play in the first game and maybe not in the second game. Mm-hmm. But waiting, waiting for a, a final diagnosis by the uh, the doctor. Uh, it's expected tomorrow. Okay, because the, uh, the the Memorial Cup is in Halifax. Both the teams in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League final will be there, so that concern isn't there. The the Huskies don't have to win the final to get to the Memorial Cup, but of course they want to win. They want to go to the Memorial Cup as champions of the of the league, obviously, correct? Of of course, the uh, I mean that's uh, their first objective. The team was built to win the President's Cup, and uh, that's their first objective. They're not thinking about the Memorial Cup, and they certainly don't want to go. Into uh, the tournament uh, by the by the back door. They want to be uh, going into uh, with the front door. So uh, the spirit here of being with the uh, the team this week uh, and the environment of the team. That's uh, what the players are talking about mostly. They want to win first the Presidents Cup. Well, the uh, the road to uh, Halifax uh, to this point in the in Quebec Major Junior Hockey League playoffs. 
the first round seemed to have been the uh, the most challenging for the Huskies, uh, and I don't think a lot of people expected a, a big pushback from Shawinigan, but it's the only team to actually get a win against uh, Roy Naranda in the playoffs. That little adversity early on in the playoffs, was was that a good thing for Roy Naranda to go through? Definitely. It was a re- real good thing because I think we didn't take uh, Shawinigan seriously enough, mm-hmm. and uh, we uh, the... Uh, they really uh, played hard against us. They uh, really played uh, physically against us, and we didn't. Uh, we didn't have. Uh, we realized that we didn't have a good control of our emotions. Uh, we got away uh, with many penalties. I mean, uh, we took so many penalties, and that's uh, how they finally uh, they, uh, finally beat us twice. And uh, so uh, after the fourth game, the series was tied at two-two, and the guys got together and they realized that they shouldn't uh, be uh, uh, paying too much attention to what uh, the, the way that Schwingen was playing and uh, mostly with the referees uh, with the refereeing mm-hmm. so they started playing and uh, concentrating focusing on their game and uh, they won that game if i remember correctly uh, something like 7-3 and then the last one 8-2 and since then they've won 10 uh, consecutive wins uh, the voice of the Ron Miranda Huskies is a uh... Jean-Paul Charlebois, he's my guest here on the Pipeline Show as our CHL insider. Uh, tell me about this team and, and some of the individual players that uh, fans, uh, you know, who maybe don't follow the, the queue as closely, uh, but just casual fans of, of junior hockey. They're going to get to know this team really well at the Memorial Cup for sure, but it starts in net, doesn't it, with Samuel Harvey, one of the top goaltenders in, in the Canadian Hockey League? Well, Samuel Harvey is a 20-year-old, and he's uh, won the uh, Jacques Plant Trophy uh, was given to the uh, goalie that has the best uh, goal against average for the second year in a row. He has it last year 2.10 uh, uh, goal against average, and this year it's a 2.08. Uh, 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 his uh, efficiency is over 90. He's at, uh, he was at 92.8%, uh, and uh, he's really at the top of his, of his game uh, uh, since the beginning of the series, his, uh, his goal against average is under two. He's at 173, I think, right now, and he uh, already has uh, three shutouts. Uh, Samuel is uh, certainly, uh, he was invited to the Montreal Canadiens camp last uh, last fall, and he's looking for a pro contract, so he's got that in his mind, and he definitely wants to uh, sign a pro contract. Well, and then the, uh, look at the blue line. Noah Dobson acquired by trade, New York Islanders first-round pick uh, last summer, and uh, now one of the leading scorers for the team in the playoffs. He's got 20 points in, in just 14 playoff games. He obviously has been a very good fit in Roy Naranda, correct? Oh, oh definitely. He, uh, he's, uh, he's been quite a, he's had quite an impact on this team. He's, uh, he, was, you know, he integrated the team really fast and uh, He's, uh, he became one of the leaders really fast with this team and, uh, uh, he plays something like, uh, between 25 and 30 minutes a game and he's, uh, definitely, uh, a big impact on this team. And uh, like you said, it's, he's, uh, he's already drafted by the Islanders and uh, we wouldn't be surprised if he'd be playing in the NHL next year. Really? You think he's ready for that big of a step next year? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, He's only, he's only 19, uh, but uh, I think he definitely has a chance to play in the NHL next year. And a guy who is a Memorial Cup champion, that sort of experience, what does that do for what is already a very good team, but to have that experience now 
going to Halifax, uh, not just in the in the in the Q playoffs, but for the Memorial Cup. That's got to be huge. Yeah, of course. And then you can count also on Samuel Alvey, Peter Abandonato, and Jacob Neveu that uh, played in the in the Red Deer in 2016. These guys has, uh, have some experience in the Memorial Cup tournament, so that's also a big asset for us. Uh, the guy leading the team in playoff scoring right now, Joel Teasdale, uh, what can you tell us about him? Oh, this guy is uh, awesome. I mean, uh, we knew that he was a good hockey player playing for Blainfield Boisbriand before that, uh, but uh, he, he not as much as uh, we find out. He's a, he's a warrior. He's a competitor, a real fierce competitor. He drives the net very hard. He's uh, quite a leader, too. And he's uh, in his third finals in the queue, third consecutive finals in the queue. And he uh, really wants to uh, finish his uh, junior career with the uh, President's Cup uh, above his head. He's already signed uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. Hmm. Uh, Jean-Paul, there's another uh, drafted player on the team, Boston Bruins pre- prospect uh, and an import player. In Is it Jacob or a Jakob uh, Lauko? Uh, we say Jakob. Okay. Uh, now, what court, kind of a player is he? I know there are Bruins fans who are pretty excited about him. Well, Jakob, is, uh, he's got uh, NHL speed. Uh, we can say he's really fast. He's got good hands, uh, really good shot. Uh has worked a lot on his defensive skills. He, when he came here, he wasn't too uh, keen on playing uh, uh, two ways, but uh, he's uh, really worked on that. He's getting better and better now. He's playing sometimes on the uh, PK. Uh, he's got, of course, he's he's got to uh, improve some of his uh, some of his skills and mostly uh, puck handling. But he's uh, he's got a Really good uh, vision also uh, of the game, and is uh, certainly also one guy. Well, actually, he's almost well, in the season. It was almost a point a game, and it's the same here in, in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. he's another guy that uh, the um, the fans should watch. Now, are there two or three other players who are really big contributors to the team that people, fans across the country, might not know just yet? But certainly will once uh, the Memorial Cup gets there. Who are who are a couple of those guys? <coughs> well, you better keep an eye on Justin Bergeron, number four, who's playing on the D with uh, Noah Dobson. Mm-hmm. He's got uh, as many goals as Noah has uh, already. Uh, they've uh, tied a franchise record for most goals scored by defensemen so far in the series. Uh, both of them have six goals, and Justin Bergeron. Had a 57-point season, and he wasn't—he was eligible for the draft last year, but he was eligible for uh, with them for for a matter of hours. I mean, yeah. he could have—he could have skipped the—he could have skipped the draft, but uh, he's a, he's on the NHL uh, uh, list actually, but he's very far on the list because he's 18 years old. But uh, Justin Bergeron, got to watch him. Jacob Lever, uh, uh really solid. Uh, Defensive defenseman. We've got to check also number 11, Rafael Arvipinard, our captain. He's small, he's very small, but very quick and very uh, uh, fierce competitor, too. He's a, really a poison around the net. Uh, Felix Bibo, uh, number 21, uh, not drafted, but uh, this guy in the uh, series against uh, Rimouski, the last series in which uh, 
Peter Abandonato didn't play. Uh, he scored uh, three winning goals, and you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's having quite a series too. Uh, these are some of the guys that uh, I think uh, people should watch. Jean-Paul, the uh, Huskies will be the favorite in this series. Uh, the Halifax Mooseheads are also a very good team. What about the Mooseheads will be a challenge for the Huskies? Oh, I think they're going to be quite a challenge. Uh, they have uh, a lot of depth. They, uh, they are uh, they have a very offensive-minded team. Uh, very good players uh, uh, in the forwards. Uh, think about Raphael Lavoie, Benoit Olivier Grou, uh, Samuel Asselin, Antoine Morin. Uh, Asselin and Morin were with uh, batters last year winning the President's Cup and the Memorial Cup. Yeah. Uh, they have some very good uh, offensive descent. Uh, well, descent, their defensemen are really mobile and very fast. You think about Jared McIsaac, Patrick Kite, and um, Justin Barron, for instance. Uh, uh, they have uh, four good lines and uh, solid defensemen. And in, in the goal, uh, Alexis Gravel has, has so far been, uh, uh, in the last two rounds uh, especially, has been very, uh, very solid in front of the net for the uh, for the Moosehead. So Huskies know they have quite a challenge. And they beat Drummondville, that finished uh, second in the standings this year. And Drummondville was uh, quite a force. Well, the the two teams only played each other twice. The Huskies won both of those games, but um, five four was one of the games. The other one was a lopsided eight to two score. Do you expect this series to be long or short? <laughs> uh, to be honest, I mean, uh, I think it could end in five games, but it could also go to seven games. Hmm. But uh, the way the Huskies have been playing, it, it will depend on Peter Bondonato's presence or not i okay. think if it's if he is there uh, for most of the series it could be it could have been uh, in five or six games but if he is not maybe longer well whatever happens we know it's going to be an exciting series and uh, then when they get to the memorial cup and they play again uh boy that should be a nice meeting there as well uh jean paul i really appreciate your time uh, have a good call tonight and uh, the rest of the series as well uh, thanks for doing this well, it was a pleasure, Guy. It was a pleasure, and uh, say hello. Uh, say hello to all the uh, uh, junior hockey fans in the Western Canada. It was Jean-Paul Charlebois of the uh, the voice of the Royal Noranda Huskies, and uh, said to pass on. Uh, well, you heard it at the end. Hello to all you hockey uh, junior hockey fans in Western Canada. That was nice of him. Told me uh, before we started the interview, we were uh, comparing names a little bit. He goes, obviously, Jean-Paul. Uh, those who know me well know uh, there's a Jean in my name as well, which I just shortened to Guy because uh, as a child, I didn't uh, like being called Gene Guy, and he had the same experience uh, coming out west and being called Gene Paul. Gene Paul, Charlie Boys. So we laughed a little bit about that. That series now uh, deadlocked 1-1 as the Halifax Mooseheads win in overtime in Game 2. In double overtime, as a matter of fact, Bo Grew getting the overtime winner. So uh, that series all knotted up and headed back to the East Coast for games three and four. Only one game so far in the OHL final. The Ottawa 67s are taking a game one by a 7-2 margin. But the Guelph Storm have been the comeback kids in the playoffs so far. Get a preview of that series with A.J. Jakubek, the voice of the Ottawa 67s, next here on the Pipeline Show. Slides it back to the middle. Scores! Patrick! First period! Logan Brown on the power play! Hey, it's Logan Brown of the Winter Spitfire. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Rising lots of America, we love! 
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. You don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. Welcome back to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We move from the Q to the OHL, another CHL Insider segment brought to you by our good friends at the store next door out in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, collecting all the broken hockey sticks that they can get their hands on, making some really cool stuff out of it, cool items for your man cave or your sports bar or just uh, other uh, places in your house uh, if you got uh, kids and want to put them in their uh, their rooms if they're uh, uh, sports fans look great in there as well go to the store next door.ca and uh, check out their catalog uh, employing people with disabilities really helping out the community out there check it out highly recommend it we go to the OHL and the voice of the Ottawa 67s Old-time uh, friend of ours here on the Pipeline Show, A.J. Jackiebeck. Uh, welcome back to the show, A.J. How are you? Outstanding, Guy. How are you? I'm doing terrific. Exciting time of year as the finals in all three CHL leagues about to start this weekend. Uh, and, in fact, by the time people are hearing this particular show, Game 1 is in the books uh, in the OHL. Uh, but it uh, should be a great final as well. The Ottawa 67's been the top-ranked team out of the OHL basically from start to finish this year. And the Guelph Storm have uh, really turned it on in the second half, really active at the trade deadline. This, to me, on paper, looks like it should set up to be a pretty interesting final. How about for you? Yeah, it's the two best teams in the league. Don't uh, be fooled by the fact that uh, it's the one seed against the four seed. Uh, I, um, I know some people were calling it even a Cinderella story for Guelph. I can't imagine a, a Cinderella team with 15 guys that, that went to NHL camps, <laughs> 11 drafted players, and four Canadian World Junior players. So th- this is uh, this is a stacked Guelph team. I wasn't surprised at all that they got through the West, uh, even uh, with tough opponents like London and Saginaw. I was surprised that they got down three nothing and three one in their uh, respective last two series against London and, and Saginaw. But uh, what a resilient team, and obviously uh, what a highly skilled team uh, to get through the West. And uh, this Ottawa team. Uh, the real deal, 106 points, a uh, franchise record, 50 wins, uh, tied a franchise record uh, from the 83-84 Memorial Cup team here in Ottawa, and uh, 12 straight wins to start the playoffs. Uh, it's only been done once in the OHL by uh, the Windsor Spitfires in 87-88. Uh, in the 88 playoffs, uh, they only had three rounds of playoffs, and uh, they rolled through everybody. Uh, led by Adam Graves to, to win the OHL championship in 12 straight games. So um, now uh, a much tougher test. I don't think anyone is expecting a four straight sweep. Uh, the regular season games between these two were both in the second half of the season, and that's when you really have to judge the Guelph team because that's when they picked up uh, the likes of Marcus Phillips and Nick Suzuki and Sean Dursey uh, and Mackenzie Entwistle and all the other players that they picked up post-trade deadline and and, uh, the two games post-trade deadline Guelph won 8-4 a game that Ottawa was at the end of a three-inch three where they played Sarnia and and London on the road first and they weren't very good at all in that game and uh, and and what I described as one of the best games I've seen in my 23 years of covering junior hockey especially in the regular season a 4-3 overtime win in February uh, where the 67s uh, got on the, the better half of, of, of that result. Uh, and if that game is anything like what we'll see in this championship series, then this should be a doozy. AJ, you mentioned the word sweep a little while ago, and not to say that anybody should expect something like that. The 67s, though, have swept their way to the OHL final. They've been to overtime twice along the way, but outside of that, it looks uh, maybe on paper a lot easier than it has been. 
if they happen to lose game one or lose early in the series, what kind of a response do you expect from the 67th having not faced any adversity yet? Yeah, I'll, I'll say this, though. They have faced adversity in games. Uh, the first seven games of the playoffs, um, there was no adversity at all. I, I'm with you on that 100%. They played Hamilton in round one, the team that they lost to a year ago. And, I mean, that was kind of foreshadowing in terms of what we would see this year for both teams. Of course, the Bulldogs uh, ended up winning the OHL championship uh, a year ago with a very good team led by uh, their head coach, John Gruden, now an assistant uh, on Long Island with Barry Trotz and the Islanders. Uh, that Hamilton team last year had six defensemen uh, that were 19, 20 years old, and none of them are back. Uh, the 67th team did not have a 19 or 20 year old defenseman, uh, last year, and they returned everybody from their blue line core, ended up traded, trading, uh, Carter Robertson, uh, away to make, uh, room for Lucas Perrick so he could move into the top six as he is right now. So, um, Hamilton had five players that, that played in the playoffs for them last year, and it was men v. boys in in round one they weren't tested at all in that series and in round two against Sudbury I expected more of a test it really didn't come until game four of the series they were able to chase Uko Pekalukunen in one of the games in Ottawa and scored eight on the Wolves uh you know twice in that series two eight five wins one at home and one in Sudbury game four was their first test it ended up going to triple overtime it was the fifth longest game in OHL history the longest in 67th history and uh, they did face some adversity in that one but hey when you're up three nothing in the series it it really isn't true adversity Uh, I, I will say even though they swept the Oshawa Generals three of the four games were were very difficult three of the four games uh they they faced adversity in the sense that they were trailing or tied at, at some point uh, in the third period. Game one, they were down 4-2, uh, seven minutes into the third, and, and stormed back with four goals to win it 6-4, to four, including an empty netter. Game two, Oshawa scored early in the third period. Those goals, you always talk about the goals in the first minute or last minute of a period, and Oshawa scored early in the third to make it a 3-3 tie. Uh, how did Ottawa respond? Well, with scoring four goals uh, to win that game seven to three. They dominated game three, five, one, uh, a dumb decision uh, in my opinion by the generals to play back to back to play three and four right after they had played a six game series against Niagara. They wanted their home Sunday date. You could have easily played on Easter Monday. Um, you know, the crowd wasn't that great anyways in game three, but uh, Hey, if they wanted their Sunday date, they could go ahead and get it, and uh, they, they got steamrolled 5-1 in game three, and then in game four, uh, once again, uh, you know, they, they faced some adversity in the sense that they were trailing uh, all game long, finally got the tying goal uh, in the last minute on a six-on-three, two penalties, so one a puck over glass penalty, and then a, a bad penalty by Nico Gross, the Rangers prospect. He took some bad ones in that series and didn't play well at all in the Oshawa blue line. But, uh, you know, that, that led to the tying goal late. And uh, on the same power play, they, they scored in the first 20 seconds of overtime. So uh, I will say they have faced adversity, uh, at least in four of the last five games. But you're right. How does this team handle something if it's adversity in between games? Uh, I think based on how they've handled adversity in a game, I think they'll be just fine. They're a very grounded team. Uh, the team that doesn't get too high or too low. Andre Tourney is coach of the year in the OHL for a reason. 
He did a masterful job of leading this team uh, through some highs and lows throughout the course of a season. I, I think they'll be fine. But until it actually happens, hey, you know, look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? I mean, uh, they got punched in the mouth in game one against Columbus, and they weren't able to uh, recover. I look back at the 2009 playoffs, the Calgary Hitman team that finished with over 120 points and 60 wins, uh, and they breezed through the Eastern Conference with 12 straight wins. Uh, including four straight over the Edmonton Oil Kings in, in round one. Uh, I remember talking to Dave Lowry a couple of years after that series, and he said Edmonton, even as the eighth seed who squeaked in uh, via a, a one-game playoff, won an overtime by Rhett Rachinsky and Prince Albert, gave them the toughest uh, run that they got in the entire Eastern playoffs. And once they got to the uh, WHL final and played a, a Kelowna team that was more battle-tested, uh, you know, obviously they lost the first three games of the series. They came back uh, to to force a sixth game, but ended up losing it in overtime. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, that's where I think when I look at this series, I look at Rouen Noranda uh, 11 years ago. They lost to Gatineau. They won their first 12 games in the playoffs as well that year and, uh, and, and got in a hole in that series. So I, I think where you look at this, you have to say, okay, well, if, if this is a series that Guelph can get an early jump on, then yeah, maybe they, they can catch the 67s and, and force them to face some of that adversity that they haven't felt in between games uh, when they're trailing in a series, which obviously hasn't happened. But if this series goes deep, you know, there's, there's the other factor, which is Guelph has played back-to-back seven-game series. I look at a dominant Sault Ste. Marie team last year, that everyone expected uh, to win the OHL championship. And then they got tested with seven-game series in round two and another seven-game series in round three. Uh, the final ended up going six against the Hamilton Bulldogs. And I wonder just how much uh, the Greyhounds might have run out of gas as that yeah. series progressed. So if this series goes six or seven, then I think it's advantage Ottawa 67. If Guelph is going to win it, in my opinion, they're going to have to get the early jump. And again, punch Ottawa in the mouth and see how they respond. Hey, did Jack, you back the voice of the Ottawa 67s and a number of other sports uh, in uh, Ottawa uh, on uh, TSN uh, 1200 1200 in Ottawa. My guest here, the CHL Insider on the Pipeline Show today. Uh, All right, for casual fans, maybe fans out west or out east who don't follow the OHL, obviously as closely as uh, as you would, who are the go-to guys on this Ottawa 67s team? I could ask you about probably 10 different players, but um, I think there's seven guys who have uh, NHL ties now, a couple guys who will be drafted this year, I'm sure, as well uh, added to that list. Um, there are a lot of players that you could tell me are the uh, the go-to guys on this team, but who are uh, four or five or six that, that immediately come to mind? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's so hard when you talk about Ottawa because their strength is in depth. Yeah, And, and Guelph, obviously with 15 guys going to NHL camps, would would be the same way, uh, but I, I think Ottawa does have the advantage in depth. I, I think Guelph probably has a little more star power when you look at Dmitry Samarukov on the back end, uh, the Oilers prospect that has played so well uh, with a hat trick, for example, in one game in the last series. Uh, I'm not sure Ottawa is a defenseman as good as Dmitry Samarukov. I'm not sure they have a, a forward as good as Nick Suzuki, who leads all players in the playoffs with 31 points, and he's been an Ottawa killer uh, you know, in, in all years past going back to his days in Owen Sound, he's played three games against Ottawa this year because 
He played one for Owen Sound and two for Guelph, and he's got nine points in those three games, the Habs prospect. I mean, I love Nate Schnarr. I mean, Radcliffe's a, a first-round pick. So, you know, there, there's some great star power on the Guelph Storm. The 67s are, are more of a team that beats you by committee, and I think when you look at uh, what they do, they, they beat you because I, I talked about the 05 team uh, that ended up going to the Memorial Cup here from Ottawa, and they had, you know, they, they lost to London in the league final, but got there because London was hosting it, that great Knights team, and uh, that was voted uh, best team in CHL history. That team uh, from the 67s had three balanced lines, and they were like three second lines. Mm. This team has three balanced lines, and they're like three first lines. I mean, the, the number three line on paper here. Uh, has Mitch Holscher, a New Jersey Devils prospect, real smart player, in between the two overages that they acquired at the deadline, and, and Kyle Maximovich and Lucas Chioto, both with a lot of playoff experience, in particular Maximovich, who played on those eerie teams going back to the Connor McDavid days, to the to the time that they won the league and ended up going to the Memorial Cup. So that is on paper, at least as it's listed, the third line. But uh, you know, you, you look at Maximovich. Uh, he's got a point in every game in these playoffs. Uh, Chioto and Holscher had 11 uh, straight games where they had points in the playoffs before uh, they swept things in, in game 12 against Oshawa. So, and they lead this team at least uh, the, when you look at combined points by each line, that's the leader. So it's like, okay, well, isn't the Shemilevsky line number one or isn't the, the Ty Feliber line number one? I mean, Ty Feliber scored 59 goals in the regular season he had 11 goals he, he went scoreless this is why this Ottawa team is so tough to defend he went scoreless in round one and they didn't beat I mean, a lot of teams if, if you got a 59 goal guy that doesn't get a goal and really is kind of quiet in round one you'd say well what's what's the, the problem there but you know you, you can't just focus on one guy or one player um, but you know you got that Felibur line with Cody Clark and Marco Rossi, who I expect to be a high pick in next year's draft. The Austrian who played last year in the Swiss second division, and then you've got the Sasha Shomolevsky line with Austin Keating and Graham Clark, a guy that should be you know a second or a third round pick maybe in this this upcoming NHL draft. Uh, scores the the highlight real goals, the lacrosse style goals on a regular basis, uh, and Shomolevsky who might be Ottawa's best player the San Jose prospect who starred for Team USA at the World Juniors. So, And then a fourth line that includes Jack Quinn and Sam Bitten, who both had more than half a point a game over the course of the regular season. So you got 11 of the 12 forwards that had half a point a game or more in the regular season, and 10 of those guys have half a point a game or more in the playoffs. That's kind of unprecedented. I kind of liken this team to you know, like the Blue Jays of five years ago, a murderer's row type where you get to the bottom of the order seven, eight, nine, and you just can't let up because they might hit a dinger just like, you know, the guys in the heart of the order might. And that's kind of how this team rolls as well. You just don't get any break uh, from line one to four, and in particular those top three lines. On the, on the back end, um, you know, it's, it's a physical defense. It's maybe not a physical team, especially when you look at uh, this group up front, but – uh, with Kevin Ball, uh, an Arizona prospect that I think is going to play in the World Juniors next year for Team Canada. Uh, Nikita Hutchuk, who might play for Russia the World Juniors next year and, and should be a round two, three, or four guy in, in the draft this year. Hudson Wilson, a, a veteran at, at 19 years old. And, and Merrick Rippon, who I think might uh, draw some interest as an undrafted player 
uh, his second time through the draft. Uh, you know, those four guys can all move the puck, but they're all really physical as well. And they complement a guy like Noel Hoffenmeyer, an Arizona pick that uh, is kind of the power play quarterback and, and a guy that can produce offense from the back end. So, um, and then in goal, you've got Cedric Andre, 34 wins of the, over the course of the regular season. And he's the backup to, of course, Mikey DiPietro, who was Canada's goalie at the World Juniors, has won a Memorial Cup, and has been one of the best goalies in the OHL since uh, the time he arrived as a 16-year-old. So um, there, there really is no weakness. That, that's the strength of this team, uh, just how deep they are. Uh, they're well-conditioned. They're, they're a team that, uh, uh, you know, once you get to the third period, once you get to overtime, or in the case of the Sudbury game, multiple overtimes, they, they don't get tired. Uh, so, you know, the depth helps, but just how well-conditioned they are helps as well. And um, th- that's why this team uh, is so difficult to beat. But, you know, a team like Guelph, you know, I, I didn't really feel – going into either of the last three series as good as Sudbury can be as good as Oshawa could be that in a seven game series Ottawa could be beat but I do feel differently in this series I do feel that if both teams bring their a game that we're going to see a series that goes six or seven games and uh and and we're in for a whale of a series so that's that's why I'm so excited about this series because I I truly think we're going to see two heavyweights going toe-to-toe that uh, are capable of winning this series and, and capable of doing very well at the Memorial Cup if they get there. Speaking of the Memorial Cup, we're going to end it with this question. Uh, right now, we know Roy Naranda and Halifax will be there. The Huskies of Roy Naranda, the number one ranked team in the CHL, also still alive, the PA Raiders, who are the number two ranked team, and the 67s, who are the number four ranked team. The top team from each, uh, all three leagues, still alive and could get to the Memorial Cup. I don't know the last time we've seen that where the top team, and this has been pretty much all season for those three teams, being the, the top-ranked team out of their respective league. When's the last time you can recall that it was uh, that potentially could be uh, the setup for the Memorial Cup? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd have to look at that uh, myself. But excited to see it. And, and boy, if Andre Tourney gets there, I mean, uh, how, how great would it be for him, uh, mm-hmm. a, a place in Rouen, where he coached for 10 years, a place in Halifax where he coached for one year, and, and good on Bobby Smith, right? I mean, Andre Tourney uh, was an assistant coach with the Ottawa Senators, and his wife had a, had a great job here in Ottawa. So when he took the job in Halifax after the coaching change, and they brought in Guy Boucher uh, because he worked with Dave Cameron uh, on the previous staff. So after that, um, he, he was in Halifax and the family was still here in the Ottawa area as his wife stayed back with, with, uh, the kids, uh, working her, her job. So, um, when there was an opening here in Ottawa, Bobby Smith, who of course owns the Halifax Mooseheads, but not only that is a former Ottawa 67 and still with great ties, uh, to the team and Brian Kilray, uh, called Jeff Hunt and said, you know what? I, I think I've got a coach for you. Mm-hmm. And it, it's been a, a match made in heaven. So, uh, yeah, imagine. Andre Tourney going back in a Memorial Cup that features uh, Rouen Halifax. And, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, either Prince Albert or Vancouver would be great. But, uh, you know, I started in junior hockey back in the 1996-97 season in Melford, Saskatchewan, doing a four-month work experience covering the Humboldt Broncos, the Nippon Hawks, and the Melford Mustangs. It was the first junior head coaching job for one Mark Habscheid. And, 
I moved on to my first major junior job in 2000-2001, working alongside Regan Bartell. That was his first year there as well, moving over from Swift Current, and who was the Kelowna head coach at the time? Of course, it was Mark Hafshide, and uh, uh, just through the Perry Pern hockey camps as well, uh, which my dad uh, is still involved with, uh, you know, Curtis Hunt uh, ran the Regina one for, for a long time uh, uh, for Perry and my dad, and so uh, so a very good family friend as well. So I'm kind of rooting for Prince Albert uh, for those reasons, because uh, certainly I like uh, both Curtis and Mark and just, you know, what can you say about a city that hasn't been able to even get to a WHL final uh, since 1985, a 34-year wait. I mean, for Ottawa, it's been a 14-year wait. Uh, this was, uh, you know, a franchise, and maybe I'll finish with that. This is a franchise that uh, for a lot of years was, kind of one of the one of the best franchises regarded on and off the ice uh you know they they led CHL attendance for a lot of years in the mid 2000s when they were getting well over 9000 fans a game and you know things kind of changed in 2012 they had the renovations uh to the Civic Center now TD Place because they wanted to uh attract football there and obviously they got the team the Red Blacks team in they've been highly successful uh, and, and they transformed Lansdowne Park into what it is now, which is fantastic. But, you know, Ottawa was forced to play two years out at Canadian Tire Centre. It coincided with uh, two years where they weren't very good and missed the playoffs. Uh, they came back, and the landscape had changed completely in the city. Not only did you just, you know, before you just had the Ottawa Senators. Now you had a, a football team that ended up being highly successful on and off the field. Uh, you brought in a soccer team as well, and, and the 67s kind of went to the, the bottom of the heap when it came to uh, interest level in this city. And, you know, this year, uh, you know, between winning, and, and that's certainly a big part of it, but, you know, they've done a good job marketing as well, uh, trying to attract people with different types of promotions. Uh, and, you know, late in the season, you could see crowds of five, 6,000. And now into the playoffs, you're getting crowds of seven, 8,000, and I expect even more uh, for the first two games of this series. So it's just great to see Ottawa as kind of one of those model franchises in the league once again after uh, a few years where uh, you could shoot a cannon uh, through the arena and not worry about hitting anybody. So uh, that, to me, is good news as well because uh, we want the business of junior hockey uh, to be uh, profitable throughout this country. AJ, as always, great, uh, great to catch up with you once again and, uh, just a plethora of information, uh, as always. Uh, thanks for this. Uh, have a great call during the OHL, uh, final and, uh, maybe we'll talk to you again once, uh, the Memorial Cup rolls around. All right. Cheers, Gee. Look forward to it. Here's AJ Jackiebeck, who, uh, I called on Twitter probably the best guest, uh, to ever have on a show because, uh, I, I looked it up. And I asked him a grand total of four questions in that uh, interview. And uh, he carried it for over 20 minutes, almost 23 minutes. I think the maybe it was five questions because at the start I did ask him, you know, how are you doing today? Uh, so I guess technically it was five questions. But it's uh, and he, he responded on Twitter saying, uh, well, that's being long winded. And it's not because long winded to me is more descriptive of somebody who just rambles. Uh, AJ can talk at length, but it's always informative and, uh, you know, uh, he's, uh, he's got strong opinions in, as well. So it's not just rambling. Um, uh, AJ's just a great guest, and uh, I thank him for that rather extensive and in-depth preview 
of the OHL final. one nothing. the Ottawa 67s lead that series. It's also one nothing in the WHL final. The Vancouver Giants with a win in uh, Game 1 in Prince Albert get a preview of that series with the help of the voice of the, those Vancouver Giants, Dan O'Connor, next here on the Pipeline Show. Hey, it's Michael Rasmussen and the Tri City Americans. Collected by Elkison, thrown away Sandu. Slot Rasmussen, he scores! A natural hat trick! And the first American hat trick in three years. How about that? And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Giant Turkey is a little over the line, my man. We're back on the Pipeline Show. Time to preview the WHL final. That means it's an in the dub segment for our friends at dubnetwork.ca. Stay up to date on everything happening around the Western Hockey League, and it has been a busy week in the league for sure. Get to some hockey, though, as we uh, preview the WHL final. The Vancouver Giants are in Prince Albert to take on the uh, the Raiders. That series gets going tonight, and uh, my guest right now is uh, Dan O'Connor, the voice of those Giants. Uh, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. Dan, how is the trip? You know what, Guy? Uh, first and foremost, thank you for the welcome. It's good to be back on the show. Um, the trip was, was really nice, actually. We, uh, we got on a plane yesterday at about 10 a.m. local time and touched down to Prince Albert, stopped in for a practice, and then sure enough, wouldn't you know it, we opened up the door to go back onto the bus, and it was snowing. <laughs> I kid you not, May 2nd in Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, and it is snowing. Uh, we've got ourselves some playoff championship hockey weather going on in Saskatchewan, and it is awesome. Yeah, it's snowing here in Alberta right now as well. So uh, <laughs> it's it seems to be uh, everywhere. Well, probably except for uh, where you're from out on the uh, on the <laughs> wet coast. But you guys get rain all the time, so uh, there's that. Before we st- start uh, looking at uh, the Giants and the Raiders, I want to ask you about the format um, because it's uh, two three two. Uh, first two games in Prince Albert, then three straight in Vancouver, two in uh, uh, the games uh, six and seven if necessary back in Prince Albert. Uh, I, the only time I've uh, traveled uh, for the uh, WHL final was in 2014 at Edmonton and Portland, which I think probably distance-wise is about the same. But we didn't do that, uh, the 2-3-2 format. It was the traditional 2-2-1-1-1. Uh, why the change this year, do you know? Well, I... I, I... Short answer, I'm, I'm not too sure. Long answer is I, I think that's kind of what the, the trend has been as of late. I'm, I'm pretty sure the Everett Silvertips and the Swift Current Broncos did the 2-3-2, two, two, and I, I think it's probably, more than anything, it might just be a, uh, a decision that the two general managers make uh, in conjunction with the league to try and offset some of the travel costs uh, and whatnot. But uh, it, it's interesting, for sure. Uh, I've personally never been a part of a 2-3-2 two, two series before uh, when it comes to this kind of distance and uh, and so forth. So I'm, I'm very curious to see kind of how this could play out. I, I do think that there's something to be said about the 2-3-2 two, two format possibly benefiting the Vancouver Giants if they are able to earn at least a split here in Prince Albert in Games 1 and 2. Uh, you steal home ice away by, by getting that split, and then all of a sudden you've got three home games in a row to try and just build that momentum for the series. Uh, don't get me wrong, it's it's going to be easier said than done, but I, I think both teams are going to look at it uh, as a positive. I mean, if, if the Prince Albert Raiders can hold serve at home, uh, if they win two games at home, then they'll be guaranteed uh, to, to come back home for, for at least a game six. So 
Uh, it's interesting. It's a bit unorthodox, but um, I think the Giants are trying to embrace it on their end, and, and no doubt the Prince Albert Raiders are going to be ready for the challenge on their end as well. Uh, and you know what? I was just looking back over the uh, the last few years, and as I mentioned, 2014 Edmonton, Portland, it was the, the, the normal 2-2-1-1-1. Uh, in 2015, it only went four games, so I, I can't really tell what the scheduling was, but 2016, 2017, and 2018 all went the 2-3-2. Uh, so maybe it is the, uh, the natural, uh, order of business for the WHL now. Uh, I, I never picked up on that, but maybe it's also a cost-saving thing for the league, uh, since everybody's flying. Um, uh, and, uh, we know what the price of gas is these days. Oh, do we ever, especially in British Columbia. Yes. So, yeah, no, I, I think definitely that's, uh, that's, that's part of it. I think that's what, uh, what they are all, uh, you know, trying to keep in mind when it comes to this. But, uh, put it this way, uh, I don't think you're going to hear any complaints from either team about the format, about the 232 or the 22111. Uh, I think everybody's just excited to be here, excited to be playing for, for a championship. And, yeah, I guess in my case, excited to be calling championship series for the first time in my WHL career. Yes, I was going to touch on that as well. You've been in the league for a long time, but uh, this is a, an opportunity I think all broadcasters would relish for sure. Uh, all right, let's get to uh, looking at both of these uh, squads. We'll start with the Giants, the team you're obviously uh, closest to. Uh, and what a terrific playoff uh, for this club. And uh, if anybody had any doubts about Bowen Byram, I think uh, those have been put to bed. And probably shouldn't have had any doubts going into the playoffs, but man, he is fantastic uh, and leading the WHL in playoff scoring. For those who haven't had a chance to watch him play or might be listening to this and they're out on the East Coast or in the States and don't know Bowen Byram, uh, they're going to get to know him a lot come the NHL draft. But give us your perspective on what makes him special. Well, I, I think that's, that's a loaded question, and we could probably have a, a segment of your show dedicated strictly to this, but... Um, I, I would say from my standpoint, the when you think you've seen it all from Bowen Byram, he tends to find another way to make an impact and do something special. Uh, set a franchise record this season for the Vancouver Giants for goals by a defenseman in a single season with 26. Set a WHL record with six overtime winning goals. <laughs> He leads the WHL playoffs in scoring. And oh, by the way, he's 17 and he has not been drafted to the NHL just yet. Uh, he's been player of the month in the WHL twice in 2019. He was the player of the month in January. He was the player of the month in April. He's doing all of this while getting all sorts of pressure all sorts of questioning from NHL teams that are watching his every move. Uh, he's getting tough matchups. He's getting extra attention on the ice from the opposition because they are always finishing their checks on him. They are trying as hard as they possibly can to take away his ice, to take away his time and space, and yet consistently, game in, game out, Guy, he finds a way to make an impact and be a presence for this Vancouver Giants team. It has been unbelievable to watch him play. He's got the size and the skating and the puck sense and obviously the, the hands to, to match all of that. Uh, I mean, he's he's got so many of the uh, the boxes checked. Is there a, a greatest asset that he has? Is there one that kind of separates him from the pack in your mind? I, I think just the way he thinks the game. Uh, I think, honestly, it's just the, the way he processes information, the way that he 
almost, you know, 99 times out of 100, he seems to make the right play. He seems to make the right read. He knows when to pass. He knows when to shoot. He knows when to hold on. Um, There's just so much that, that he is able to process at just an elite level that makes him such an effective player in this league, and, and it's going to translate to the next level, I'm sure of it. Yeah, uh, so am I. And uh, for in, for me, in a draft year, which is a very good one for the WHL, he is the top guy in my mind. Uh, and I'd, I'd be surprised if he wasn't the first player out of the league uh, taken in June at the NHL draft. But he's not the only player on the team worth talking about. So let's get to know some of the other players uh, on the Giants. And one of them we know pretty well here in Edmonton, Davis Kosh, is second in league scoring. Uh, not a lot of goals in the playoffs, but uh, that was his trademark at Edmonton was as a setup guy as well. Uh, and he seems to be, that seems to be his calling card with the Giants too. Fair to say? Yeah. And I think honestly, the, the, the cool thing, and you'd know about Davis, is he's not flashy. Uh, he's not a dangler. He's not a guy that's going to, beat you, you know, dangle through three guys and go and score. But but he's a guy I think similar to Bo and Byram is is the way he's able to process the game. Think the game. He he he's really good along the walls. He's he he's almost one step ahead of the defenseman as well. When he gets the puck, he he kind of knows his options, knows his lanes. Uh he's just a very crafty player. He's a very consistent player and um, you know, we, we're starting to kind of see that situation now where 20 year olds are starting to sign contracts and get noticed. Uh, I, I think Davis thinks the game at a, at a, at an elite level, at a pro level. Uh, I think he can skate well enough to, uh, you know, he, he can skate well enough to keep up. Um, I, I think he's, the, the, another thing about him too is that I think he's way better defensively than he's given credit for. And I think when we got him, we, we kind of knew he was this really good offensive player, but yet the way he defends, the way he covers lanes, the way he kills penalties, he's been just a, a real find, I think, for this Giants team. And, and I think that the nice thing about him, too, is he's just a very calm, funny, easygoing, unassuming guy who just goes about his business. He's a remarkable teammate, and his leadership has really been praised this season as just being a guy who's been very inclusive of his teammates and a guy who's just been the, the epitome, really, of consistency all season long on the ice. Well, Dan, I'm going to rely on you to tell me about the rest of the team. I've only seen them once with my own eyes here in Edmonton, and, and to be honest, it wasn't a great performance that night for the Vancouver Giants. So uh, tell me about this club and what makes them tick and who the guys are that uh, lead the charge. Other than Byram and Kosh uh, here in the playoffs, uh, who else can be counted on nightly uh, for the Giants? Well, that's a really interesting question, Guy, because I think the calling card of the Giants all season long has been their depth and has been the fact that it hasn't just been one or two guys that have done the damage. It's been um, a handful of guys night in, night out, or it's been a different guy night in, night out. Um, the forward line of Owen Hardy, uh, Dawson Holt, and Jared Dimitru has been wonderful over the course of the playoffs. <clears throat> they beat you with speed. They beat you with offense. They beat you with physicality. Uh, they've been tremendous. Um Braden Watts, Milos Roman, and Justin sort of, they've started to really pick it up. Uh, Braden Watts has scored a number of clutch goals over the course of the playoffs. Milos Roman is a prospect of the Calgary Flames who's done, you know, wonderful work, uh, defensively, offensively, and so forth. And then, you know, uh, Justin sort of, I mean, he's a rookie who had 23 goals and 23 assists for 46 points. He's just one of three 16-year-olds to ever do that for the Vancouver Giants. Uh, the other two being Gilbert Brule and Evander Kane. Perhaps you've heard of those two players. I think so. Um, 
Defensively, yeah, Dylan Plouffe, Alex Kanek, Leeper, Seth Buffero, Dallas Hines, Caleb Bullich, um, they do a little bit of everything. Uh, there's no weakness to the Giants on their back end. Uh, they can play physically. They can play fast. They can block shots. They can kill penalties. They, um, you know, I, I forgot up front, Jaden Joseph was the, the, the premier trade deadline acquisition for this Giants team. He's got seven goals in the playoffs. Tristan Nielsen was acquired in a trade for Dean's mom. And I know that there were a lot of Giants fans at the time that raised their eyebrows at that trade. Tristan Nielsen's been outstanding for the Vancouver Giants all season and let alone in the playoffs. Lucas Fakovsky's had a penchant for dramatic goals as well um, in his first season in the league. And then <clears throat> between the pipes, you've got, I think, the best goaltending tandem in the WHL, let alone maybe the CHL in David Tendick and Trent Minor. So, You've got you've got Bowen Byram who gets a lot of the press clippings and a lot of the attention. Davis Kosh, his numbers up front kind of speak for themselves, but this is not a team that relies on one or two players. This is a team that generally and legitimately relies on their entire roster to help them win. Uh, let's go to the goaltenders, and you mentioned uh, David Tendek and, and Trent Miner, and uh, what a one-two punch that has been the entire season for the Giants. Uh, I know uh, he didn't play in the last round, so Trent Miner uh, hasn't played since uh, round two. Um, do we expect it's it's now David Tendek's, uh he's getting all the starts unless something uh, uh, goes sideways? Well, probably. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm, I'm a bit trepidatious about saying that because – uh, in the one regular season game where the Giants faced the Prince Albert Raiders in the regular season, Trent Miner played in that game and was outstanding. Uh, so uh, it wouldn't surprise me one lick if uh, if we saw Trent Miner in this series. But, um, you know, Dave, David Tendick kind of took the ball and ran with it in the West Final against the Spokane Chiefs. Uh, he showed exactly why the Arizona Coyotes drafted him in, in last year's draft. Um, here's the thing, Gee, like, it doesn't really matter who plays in goal for this Vancouver Giants team because uh, it's one thing for coaches to kind of coyly say that they have trust in both of their goaltenders and either guy gives them a great chance to win, blah, 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 blah. But with the Giants, it's true. It's genuinely true. They, they both stomp the puck so well. They are both terrific friends. They are great competitors and both I assure you, are up to the challenge in this series should they get the tap on the back to go and play goal. Dan O'Connor, voice of the uh, Giants, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. We're looking ahead to the uh, WHL final, which uh, starts tonight. Uh, let's look at the other team now. Uh, from your perspective, well, what is the biggest challenge uh, for the Giants going up against the uh, Prince Albert Raiders? Well, I mean, we, we just spent a long time talking about depth of the Vancouver Giants. Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a single team uh, that I've come across in the WHL this year that can hang with the Prince Albert Raiders when it comes to their depth. Um, do they have a fourth line? I don't think so. Um, this is a team that has speed. They have size. They have um, skill. They've got elite goaltending. They've got physicality on their blue line. And just based on what I've been able to pick up on the games that I've watched is I don't think there's a single team that can transition better than the Prince Albert Raiders. Meaning, if you make a mistake in, the, in, the, in their zone, if you cough a puck up, no team is going to counteract an attack quicker and more aggressively than the Prince Albert Raiders. And so, you know, are you going to key on Brett Leeson? Yes. Are you going to key on Dante Hanun? Yes. Are you going to key in on Noah Gregor? Yes. 
uh, all of a sudden it's like, wow, okay, there's still Sean Montgomery. There's still Parker Kelly. There's still Caden Gooley. There's still Max Martin. There's still Braden Paul. Um, the list goes on when it comes to the Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, this team is stacked with depth. They have confidence. They are tremendously well coached. They're disciplined. Their special teams is very good. Um, the Giants, in a lot of ways, um, that the, there's little room for error when it comes to facing the Prince Albert Raiders, and that I think is is the biggest challenge. I think that lies ahead for the Giants is just knowing that, that if you take two or three shifts off against these guys, that's all it could take for them to score one, two, or three goals. They're that good. The special teams for uh, the the two clubs that are remaining. Um, both really good. I mean, if you had a a power play that's you know in the low twenties during the regular season, you're pretty happy with that. Right now, the Giants are clicking at just under thirty six percent on the power play. That's ridiculously good. And I mean, Spokane was right there too. What was happening out west where uh, you get a power play? It's almost guaranteed goal. <clears throat> well, I mean, the, the Giants have played fifteen playoff games. Key, they've scored in a power play goal in all but one of them. Wow. So they're, they're they're fourteen games. They've got a goal on the power play. Uh, the Spokane power play coming into that series was at 48%. The Giants surrendered one power play goal against in that series. Wow. So much credit goes to Michael Dick and Jamie Heward and the penalty killers for really, truly, genuinely rising to the occasion and killing off the, those Spokane power plays. And the goaltending, of course, as well. But... Um, yeah, as for the power play, honestly, Gee, nothing fancy. Um, the Giants have been very good about showing a few different looks on their power play. Um, opportunistic scoring, I would say, was kind of the name of the game, and I, and I think truly it was the X factor. <clears throat> In that Western Conference final against the Spokane Chiefs, they were able to get their power play going, and that was the major reason why they are sitting here getting ready for game number one of the Western, of the, uh, sorry, the Western Hockey League's Rogers uh, WHL Championship. Yes, uh, we've got to get all the sponsor names in there. Uh, the, uh, the, the venue in, uh, Prince Albert, uh, a small barn, but, uh, what an atmosphere right now going on at the Art Hauser in the playoffs. They're calling it the Mad Hauser, uh, for good reason. I know in Langley at the Events Center, uh, it's been, uh, really good crowds as well. This, the, the, uh, the fan base for both of these, uh, cities, uh, two different size cities, uh, but certainly getting behind their team, and that's great to see, isn't it? Without question. And I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to tonight. Uh, I've heard nothing but great things about the playoff atmosphere here in Prince Albert, and, and you know, it deservedly so. This is a great market. This is a, a very passionate fan base and, and a deserving fan base to have this stage and have this opportunity. Um, a lot of talk about the noise at the Art Hauser Center and let, let me just say that, that, that credit where credit's due to Prince Albert and the great noise that this building has had, but the LEC has been no slouch either. When Jerry Dimitro scored to tie the game 2-2 in game number two of that series against Spokane, <clears throat> when the Giants scored four goals in a span of three minutes and 21 seconds, I've never heard the LEC that loud. Uh, it was numbing. It, it, it was chilling just to talk about it. Uh, goosebumps just just thinking about how loud and how rabid that that rink was and, and how excitable that fan base was uh crowd support on either side of the coin is not going to be an issue in this series and that also makes it so much fun should I ask you about your thoughts on uh, what happened with the whl banner draft uh, yesterday in red deer the uh number of trades that unfolded some big names being uh, moved around Jet Wu now with the Calgary Hitmen and, and guys uh, like uh, Dylan Hamilak and Jake Lee uh, with the uh, 
Memorial Cup 2020 Memorial Cup host uh, the Kelowna Rockets and some other moves and, and obviously what the Winnipeg Ice did uh, to get the number one and number two picks uh, uh, when it was all said and done. What do you think about the draft day and everything that happened? It, it was a crazy day, and I, I think it's very exciting for the fans, very exciting for the media types like you and I that are following along, trying to make sense of it all. And I, I think Polona, uh, we knew they were going to make a splash. We knew that they were going to be aggressive, and you know, uh, Dylan Hamilick is a hell of a player. I think Jake Lee is only going to get better. He's going to play a big part on that blue line. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cole Suedius is an interesting acquisition, kind of adds to the goaltending depth that that franchise already has. Uh, Jet Wu is now a member of the Calgary Hitmen. Uh, are they now the default favorites in that division heading into next season? Uh, a strong case, I think, could be made for that fact. Um, and, and you know what? Uh, I think Victoria going out and bringing in Shane Farkas and adding him to their organization was a savvy move. Uh, the finagling that Winnipeg did to, to get the first two picks in that draft, the, the Cougars then getting picks three and four, um, crafty moves by their respective general managers. And, and I think that uh, it, it bodes very well for some of these teams building for the future. And, you know, it, it was a bit of a crazy day for me yesterday trying to follow along, you know, when you're trying to get on an airplane and when you're trying to do all sorts of various different things. But, you know, a draft is always really exciting. You've always got 22 general managers and 22 teams that are ecstatic when they leave <laughs> Red Deer. And uh, I guess we'll, you know, let's have this conversation in another four years, Key, and we'll have a better clue of, of who were the real winners and losers on draft day 2019. But I know the Giants are happy. I know all sorts of other teams are happy. And you know what? For all the trades and all the movement that took place, there's a lot of happy hockey fans as well. There's going to be some happy hockey fans in at least one of these markets uh, in the next uh, 10 days or so as uh, the WHL final kicks off tonight. Dan, have a great call this series. Uh, thanks for making time for the Pipeline Show. Great to chat again. We'll do it soon. All the best, Guy. All the best. Thank you very much. Uh, enjoy the series. You do a great job. And, uh, and thank you just for your continued support of junior hockey. Well, that was very nice of uh, Dan O'Connor to say. I always appreciate when he's on the show, Real Gentleman, when you meet him in person as well and calls a terrific game as uh, the Giants winning game one up in Prince Albert. Uh, not an easy place to get victories this year, uh, but the Giants uh, get that one and go, well, they'll have home ice advantage. And now with uh, game two in PA and then games three, four, and five in Vancouver, I think it's fair to say the Raiders have their work cut out for them now, and really, they really, really need a game two in that series. One more segment to go here on to this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. It's a 2019 draft spotlight. The player in question, John Farinacci, who played high school hockey this year at Dexter Southfield. Also saw him uh, briefly a couple of games with Muskegon and a couple of games with the U.S. National Development Program. And uh, at the start of the year, he was captain for Team USA at the Holinka Gretzky Cup here in Alberta at Red Deer and in Edmonton. Hear from him next on the Pipeline Show. Matias Samuelson left point. Gruden around on the right side. one nothing U18. Stasky walks the line, took the shot right on goal. They score! Farabee put in the rebound. And Farabee gives his grandmother a birthday present. It's 2 nothing. Hey, it's Bill Fairby from Team USA, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. He is a midnight mover. He can go on in the sunlight. Passion, talent. 
development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Ben Bishop. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Andy Green. And Ryan Miller were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. Nobody. We're back on The Pipeline Show. Last segment of uh, this episode for this week. We're going to turn on the 2019 Draft Spotlight. Uh, My guest today comes to us out of uh, the uh, high school circuit in the United States. As uh, We're joined now by John Farinacci, who played at the Dexter this past season. Uh, John, welcome to The Pipeline Show. How are you? Good, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing well, but uh, I'm not a couple of months away from the NHL draft uh, like you are. Uh, we'll get to the draft and all of that stuff uh, shortly, but take me back through this season and, and how things went for you. Uh, yeah, it went pretty well. Uh, had a good year here at Dexter. Um, we uh, we lost in the semifinals to the Salisbury School. It was a very good team. Um, all in all, it was a pretty successful year. Um, for me, uh, I got injured at, at one point, but had to kind of battle through it which was which was good adversity for me but uh all in all it was a, it was a really good year now for casual fans uh and there's people who will hear this interview that will be all over north america and some people from europe as well might not know where dexter is so uh where is dexter it's in uh brookline massachusetts it's about uh 30 40 minutes south of boston okay and now you're a, a new jersey guy aren't you you're from new jersey originally Yep, I'm a, I'm a New Jersey native, so I'm, a, I'm living up here with uh, my mom in, uh, in Dedham, Mass, which is about 20 minutes from Brookline, so pretty close. Okay. Uh, I know you've played uh, at Shattuck as well out in Minnesota and, and, and a little bit in the USHL with the Muskegon in Michigan, the U.S. National uh, Development Program as well. So you've, uh, you're no stranger to moving around a little bit. Yeah, no, uh, I've been around a little bit. I went to uh, the Del Barton School my freshman year, so... I uh, went to three high schools in four years, which is a little bit of moving around, plus kind of those stops in between at the program and Muskegon for a couple games. So, yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm definitely not a stranger to kind of moving around. Well, John, what we like to do in this part of the show is uh, let my audience get to know somebody that's draft eligible like you are, and, and not everybody that's hearing this will know much about you. So uh, let's get back to the start. We, we established you're from New Jersey. You're from, uh, are you from Red Bank, New Jersey? Uh, no, I'm actually I'm from Chatham, New Jersey. I was born in Red Bank, but I kind of grew up in Chatham, New Jersey. Okay, fair enough. Do you remember how old you were when you first started playing hockey? Uh, I was probably about three years old when I started skating, and then obviously kind of do the, the learn to skate stuff. So probably about four or five when I when I first started kind of doing that stuff. Well, that's pretty young. Was it a natural thing for you? Did you grow up automatically being a hockey guy? Who got you excited about the sport at that young age? Yeah, my uh, my dad. He played a a little uh, hockey in college. He went to Hofstra, so he played D3 club hockey. Um, so he's always kind of had a passion for the game. And um, when we were when we were young, he kind of tried us out of a couple different sports. But for me, nothing really matched up even close to hockey. So I kind of just loved it and took off from a young age. And you have an older brother too, correct? Yep, I have an older brother, Anthony. He's a uh, a junior at Tufts University right now. He plays hockey there. Well, and I have an older brother as well, and I remember when I was a little kid, whatever my older brother was doing, I wanted to do too. So was it something similar? You saw him playing, and, and it was natural for you? You wanted to follow in, 
in his footsteps? Yeah, I, I think uh, it's definitely a pretty similar situation. I kind of saw what he did and how he played the game and, and kind of wanted to be like older brother and definitely like dad a little bit too, watching yeah. him play hockey. So, um, yeah, definitely kind of emulated after them a little bit. You're a forward, John. Have you always been a forward? Yeah, I've always been a forward. I'll never forget my uh, – I asked my dad probably my, my third skate when I was younger. I asked him if I could play goalie, and he said no way. So I've been a forward ever since. But Did he tell you why? Did he have any reason for, for saying no? No, he he didn't he didn't really have a reason. He kind of just told me no, and that was it. I never really asked him again. So Well, I know I talk to a lot of players who say, you know, at a young age, maybe six or whatever, that they, their team, they everybody kind of takes their turn playing goal. Was was there ever that sort of opportunity for you? No, I never. We, we never really had that chance for me. It was kind of just always playing forward. Um, I, I love goals, so that's what I like to do. And when I when I kind of found that love for scoring goals and making plays and stuff like that, I I definitely knew I, I didn't want to be a goaltender. So I can thank my dad for that. For sure. Well, it seems to have been working out uh, pretty well for you. Um, tell me about the, the the year spent at Shattuck St. Mary's. Uh, obviously, a pretty well known uh, hockey academy out there in uh, Minnesota. Uh, making that move, you only played there the one year, uh, but first, why why go to Shattuck in the first place? Yeah, for me, um, I kind of just want to challenge myself from a hockey standpoint, and uh, uh, for me at that age, there's really no better place than Shattuck. Um, obviously, a ton of great players have gone through there, and mm-hmm. the team that I played for, we, we had a lot of great kids on that team who really just push you every day in practice, and um, I definitely think that was a season where I kind of developed the most, and uh, can't, I'm very thankful for my time there. Why just the one year? Uh, for me, um, I kind of wanted to balance the hockey with the academics. So um, when I when I came short of making the program, uh, my uncle, uh, Dan Donato, the coach here at Dexter Southfield, uh, reached out to me and told me I had a spot here. And uh, it was probably a little bit more challenging academically and, and pretty similar hockey-wise. And uh, for me, going to Harvard too, I, I obviously take pride in my academics. So, kind of, it was it was a healthy balance between the academics and the and the hockey. All right, fair enough. Uh, you mentioned uh, Coach Donato. I didn't know he was your uncle as well. Uh, is Ted Donato all all sort of uh, the same family tree there? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty similar. Dan's more of kind of like my my second uncle, I guess you can call him. Um, Ted is kind of more my direct uncle. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it's, it's all in the same family. All right. Well, we'll get to Harvard in a second. Uh, I do want to ask you about. I mean, you played a couple of games with uh, Muskegon last year, a couple of games with them this year as well, and, and the program uh, this year and last year, uh, as well as uh, your your time at Dexter. Uh, how does all that work? Where you get to play for two or three different teams in a season? Is it just the time of the year that your, your high school team is playing that frees you up to play for these other teams? Yeah, it's kind of. It- kind of nice with uh with the prep school option um we don't start until about november so kind of those first two or three-ish months months you kind of have um those open slots you're really just working out you're playing a little bit of, of fall hockey but um it kind of allows you to keep your schedule open like obviously like you said playing for muskegon and uh and the program so um once the season starts it's kind of tough to to do those things so um for me i kind of just focus on the dexter season but before and and stuff like that, it, it makes it pretty easy to kind of get out there. Now, uh, I did get a chance to watch you play uh, with my own eyes uh, back in August here in Edmonton uh, with the Holinka Gretzky Cup. Uh, you were the captain for Team USA. Uh, an exceptional tournament uh, for you and your squad. Uh, obviously, the way it ended was uh, very controversial, and I think most people who were there, as I was, 
would say you guys got messed over. Uh, and uh, I know it was uh, it took a long time. I've talked to a lot of your teammates from that squad uh, this year on the Pipeline Show, and and uh, some of them had gotten over it, others haven't. Um, what about you, John? The way things ended there against Team Canada in the semifinal. Yeah, for me, um, I think uh, directly kind of after that game, uh, I kind of had to, to flip the switch. I know uh, a lot of the guys are pretty upset and pretty bummed out. And, of course, uh, I, I, w- I would be lying to you if I said, said I wasn't. But for me, I knew we had a game the next morning against a, a really good Russia team. So, mm-hmm. uh, for me, I had, to, I had to flip the switch pretty fast and kind of prepare for that game. And, Obviously, that game didn't uh, work out as well as we wanted to, but I mean, we we played hard and we gave it our best that game. And um, kind of reflecting on the tournament a week or so later, obviously, um, you're still kind of bummed out about it. But then you, you get over you get over it. I think you gotta you gotta look past it. You gotta it it definitely just lights a fire in you. For me, um, it, it motivates me. And obviously, what happened uh, was unfortunate, but. Uh, for me, you kind of you got to move on a little bit, but a, a part of it kind of sticks with you just to keep that motivation and, and get that fire underneath you. John Farinacci, my uh, guest here on the Pipeline Show in the 2019 Draft Spotlight. I know going into the Holinka Gretzky Cup, uh, because it wasn't the U.S. program that was going, the U18 squad, a lot of people described your your team as the B team from the United States. How did you guys take that? Was that was that a motivator for you to kind of shut people up? Yeah, definitely. I think um, obviously uh, that that program team is unbelievable. We've yeah. seen what they've done uh, the past two years. But for us, kind of going into it, we we heard all that, and um, we use this motivation to kind of to push ourselves in the tournament and exceed expectations. And for us, obviously, obviously, like we kind of just talked about with uh, the semifinal game, we thought that uh, we deserved to kind of have a shot at that gold medal. But but at the end of the day, I thought that we uh, we represented ourselves and, and our country very well. So. Ah, uh, you certainly did. Um, okay, right, let's talk about Harvard and and why uh, playing at Harvard was the right fit for you as a hockey player. Yeah, for me, um, I, I think it's uh, it's really nice to kind of be familiar with the situation, and um, obviously, my uncle uh, Ted Donato being the coach there, I've I've always kind of been around the campus, always kind of been around the rink, always at the games when I was little. So for me, it was always kind of a a dream for mine uh, when I was a young kid watching Harvard play and. Um, when I kind of visited the campus, I had an opportunity to kind of really see what it was all about. And um, my cousin Ryan and I went through there, and and he he told me what it was what it was all about. So for me, it was it was uh, it was a no brainer just because of uh, how much I've kind of been around that campus and how familiar I am with the coach and kind of the whole atmosphere there. So for me, it was a no brainer. And academically, are you ready to go next year, or, or will there be another year before you can go? No, so uh, I'll be going there next year. Okay, exciting. Uh, lastly, the uh, the NHL draft uh, now is said just a couple of months away, uh, maybe a little bit under that now. Getting nervous at all? No, I think uh, you kind of just got to keep the same mindset you, you've had all year. It's, it's just uh, you just got to keep getting better, and whatever sort of happens, you can't control that. So you just got to do everything in your power to put yourself in, a, in the right position, and um, however the chips sort of fall, you kind of got to take it and, and run with it. Now, I usually ask guys, you know, if uh, if they look at the rankings and stuff during the course of the season, half the guys I ask say, no, I don't want to look at rankings because it could be a distraction and you can't control those types of things. Other guys say, I always look at where I'm ranked. It's a bit of a motivator type of thing and always intrigued uh, to, to, to hear from players uh, which which camp you're in, John. Uh, do, you, do you care about the rankings or, or things like that? Um, For me, I'm, I'm probably a little bit in the middle of, of those two spectrums. I think... Uh... 
Um, I kind of definitely like to see kind of where I uh, people see me stacked up uh, compared to the rest of the competition. So I like to kind of use that as motivation. But at the same time, I'm also on the other side where it's nothing that I can control and, and there's no need to get too worked up about it. But um, I kind of find myself in the middle of those two sides, kind of use it as motivation, but also um, it's not really the biggest deal in the world. Now, between now and the draft, you'll have the NHL Combine, I'm sure. Uh, and you're also, I think you're, in fact, after this interview, you're meeting with an NHL team too. So maybe that's a kind of a dry run for the for the NHL Combine in a way. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, you kind of do these uh, these other interviews throughout the year with the, with the local scouts or the amateur scouts. So it's, uh, I guess you could call it a little bit of a test run, but obviously when you're kind of in a room with all those people, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different. So... Uh, for me, you just got to kind of be yourself in those things and um, be honest, kind of just not, not lie about who you are. And if, if you be yourself and kind of be honest uh, with everybody, then I think uh, you should be pretty fine for that. I know one of the questions you'll, I'm sure you'll get asked at the Combine is to describe yourself as a player. And I guess for the benefit of uh, those who haven't had a chance to watch you play, can you give a, a bit of a self-scouting report? What kind of a guy you are? For me, yeah, I think um, – I think I'm kind of a, a very high hockey IQ player. I think that's my biggest strength, my hockey sense. I think I read the game very well. I think I play a very good 200-foot game, kind of getting up and down the ice, being um, reliable in the D zone, winning face-offs, but also being able to score goals and kind of make plays. So kind of that 200-foot that player who – competes really hard and, and is also pretty skilled well john listen i really appreciate your time i uh, certainly wish you the best of luck between now and the draft whatever happens at the draft and uh, maybe once you get to harvard we'll chat again i really appreciate it thanks for having me john farnacci from uh, dexter southfield and a uh, guy I, I expect he's going to go in the top 45 um i think uh, central had him ranked what did i say 34th something like that uh, i'm gonna look it up quickly again 35th. So, yeah, no reason to think that uh, he can't go in that top 45, sprinkle in uh, five or six or seven uh, Europeans. And uh, who knows, maybe at the uh, NHL Combine, he uh, turns in a pretty impressive performance uh, with the physical testing or with uh, the interview process. Maybe somebody liked him enough to take him at the end of the first round. We'll only know once the uh, draft actually gets here, uh, but uh, interested to see, intrigued by John Farinacci. That's going to wrap up this week's episode of the Pipeline Show. Next week on the program, we'll catch up on what's happening in the CHL playoffs, the USHL playoffs, and any other news and notes that we can pass on to you as well in terms of prospect hockey. This time of year, they'll be, uh, we'll be increasing the 2019 draft spotlights as well, so there might even be a couple of them next week here on the Pipeline Show. Until then, thanks to everybody who signed up to be a patron. You can go to patreon.com slash Show. All of these interviews have been available for the last uh, two or three days, and patrons have been able to uh, check those out with their early access if you have an interest in that. Again, patreon.com slash show. Till next week, get out, watch some junior hockey. We can talk about it next week on The Pipeline Show. Till then, my name's Keith Flaming. See ya.